And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So we now get insight that when Moses was there in Egypt with the ten plagues and the deliverance that God gave the children of Israel under the leadership of Moses with Aaron by his side, that his wife would come with them. And remember, she made the, the scene there with the circumcision of the son on the way when she called him a husband of blood. We don't know if there's a lot of tension there, if it just wasn't working out, or it was just too intense to have the wife and family in the ministry in Egypt. But we now know from this text that Moses, he sent them. It says that he, had, he sent them home. He just said, you know, it's better... It says he sent her back. It's better if this isn't for you. And we don't know a lot about that, but to be honest, sometimes um, there are certain battles that husbands protect their wives from, and there are certain things they protect them and guard them, and they're a shield for them to protect them from certain things. And maybe that's the case here. You, maybe it was a, there was discord in the marriage. We don't know. But at any rate, his father-in-law, Jethro, who he evidently had a very good relationship with, is bringing Zipporah back to him with his sons, and he would have been happy to see his family. I mean, we love our children, and whenever I'm away from my children doing ministry and I get to see them, like seeing my granddaughter this week in town from Colorado, there's so much joy that you just, you're just filled with joy, and you just get so excited and so blessed that you, there's something about when you see family that you love that you haven't seen, especially when you're dealing with difficult things like Moses is here, that it brings great joy. But one thing I would point out is his first son's name is Gershom, which means stranger in a foreign land. Now, the other son is, means help. God is my help when God delivered him from the previous pharaoh when he fled at the age of 40 from Egypt. But I was thinking about this, Gershom. This is a good word for the body of Christ right now on planet Earth in May 2020. We need to be reminded that we are strangers in a foreign land. The Bible tells us that we are pilgrims. We're told that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, they were sojourners and pilgrims that for people of faith in the Old Testament and believers in Christ in the New Testament, we know that we walk by faith and not, not by sight, and we know that this is not our home. In fact, we're told in Philippians that we are citizens of heaven, and this is not our home. And we find in our own lives, if we get too comfortable on planet Earth, God will shake things up. Because if we get too comfortable, we're getting in a rut. And the only, you know, we've said this many times, but a rut and a grave are not too different. They're just depth and width. And God doesn't want us in a rut. He wants us living by faith, being stretched, growing in character, growing in the vision of the kingdom. And so there are things that need to remind us that we're pilgrims and strangers. When we lose a loved one and they go to heaven before us, that's a treasure in heaven. It gives us another reason to want to go to heaven. There are people that all of you love here tonight. If they went to be with the Lord before you this night, life would never be the same for you. Speaking with my good friend Brian Jameson, his 10-year-old daughter that died of cancer, of course, Trinity, he shared with me recently that he felt like a piece of his heart was cut out after she passed away. And he just didn't quite have the same spark that he used to have until this last year on a mission trip. God restored that, and he told me that he never thought that he'd get that part of his life back, but God gave it back to him, that he restored 
that loss in his heart. It was like a, a part of him was gone. His oldest daughter, Trinity. But he'll also tell you that Trinity going to heaven makes him desire heaven. I mean, Trinity in heaven, you lose your 10-year-old daughter, that, that's, a, that's a reason to go to heaven. Like if someone tells you you got a terminal illness and you got a 10-year-old daughter that went to heaven, you'd be looking forward to go see your 10-year-old daughter in heaven. So this goes back to being a stranger and a pilgrim that as people we love step into eternity before us, they remind us that our heaven is our home. And Jesus said, where our treasure is, our heart will be also. And so there are events that happen in life that are uncomfortable and agitating that remind us we're pilgrims. God, we might lose a house, we might lose a job, we might lose a dream. And it reminds us that our dreams go beyond earth and time, space, and matter. Our homes are in heaven. We're told that Abraham looked for the city which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. He had an eternal perspective. And so just that Moses, when he fled from Egypt, he was a prince of Egypt and he had so much power and all that learnedness and political strength. And he went to this place where he's a total foreigner. Like, we don't really think about that. He went from everything he knew to 40 years to nothing that he knew. And he married into a family of a totally different culture, different people, different lifestyle. That's radical. It'd be like immigrating to another country with a different language or something. And we almost forget that about Moses. And then think about this. Egypt was never his home in the first place. So he goes from being 40 years as a stranger in a foreign land. He's a Hebrew that was raised in Egypt. And then he's in Midian in the Sinai. And then now he goes back to Egypt, and that's not his home. And he's delivering people from a place that's not their home, where they're slaves, to go to a promised land that will be their home, but he won't go into the promised land. He lived 120 years, and he never, ever really had a home on earth. And the fact that he called his firstborn son stranger, pilgrim, sojourner, reminds us, whether you're Moses or just a disciple of Jesus Christ in May 2020, we are pilgrims, and we're passing through. And First Peter reminds us that we're pilgrims, we're sojourners, and we're to do good, we're to honor God, we're to seek to live a quiet, peaceful life and glorify the Lord as best we can. But we know that there's a higher authority, it's Jesus Christ, he's the ultimate authority, and we need to be faithful to him, because in the end, while things might get agitating or difficult on earth, we are strangers and pilgrims. This is not our home, this is not our final destiny, our citizenship is in heaven, and that is why Paul said, to live is Christ and die is gain. And we need to keep that in mind. So just the very name Gershon reminds us all, even in the difficult time of COVID-19, as believers in Christ in California right now, when and how our church is going to open up. It's going to be reminded that we're pilgrims and we're strangers. And we just need to grow in the Lord, however things are, and keep going forward and know that this is not our home. What's going on around us is preparing us for our home. And we're sharing this experience with people who are going home with us to our home through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we read on, verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced over for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took burnt offerings and offered sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Well, here in verses 7 through 12, 
we get some insight into the relationship that Moses had with his father-in-law. He bowed down and kissed him. When Moses had nowhere to go and he was a complete stranger, this man opened his heart, his home, and his family to Moses. In fact, we know that he gave him his daughter Zipporah to marry. And this is his father-in-law, and he worked for his father-in-law. And this was his life, and this is the way, the way it was. And as he, as he broke bread and chatted about events, we see that Moses tells him about the hardship that they went through. Now, catch these words. Look closely. It says in verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law about all the hardships that had come upon them on the way. So as Moses described these things, remember when Jacob said, few and evil have been the days of my life to Pharaoh, right? So it's, life's hard. <laughs> Enter by the narrow gate, it's difficult. Moses, in summarizing this ministry so far, he says, all the hardships. God is not interested in making things safe and comfortable for us. He's interested and purpose to be deliberate and absolute to transform us through trials, afflictions, and tribulations to make us more like Christ. And that is how people get saved because Moses talks about all the hardships he's been through. And then the first thing we see in verse 9 is that Jethro rejoiced. Moses' hardships became the testimony by which Jethro rejoiced. How often is it when people we know have gone through great hardships, and as we look at their faith through hardships, we find ourselves rejoicing in the Lord? When we lost our son, we took the train to Oregon, Jennifer and I, we took the Amtrak train to Oregon to go John Corson's church. It was very, it was almost like a pilgrimage if you lost a loved one in the late 80s or early 90s to go to Applegate and go see John Corson. I mean, having lost his first wife in a car wreck and then his 16-year-old daughter in the early 90s to a car wreck, now he's lost Peter John, his other son, to Crohn's disease. And when he was here at Big Calvary, John Corson teaching, people would come, they filled the sanctuary. You know, John Corson, in the early 2000s, when Pastor Chuck gave him Tuesday night, he filled the sanctuary on Tuesday nights. People came from all over California to listen to John Corson because he is a man who has suffered many hardships. And as people would come to look at this man and listen to this man teach the Bible, they would leave rejoicing over this man's faith and the inspiration of his faith that had shined and grown and come through those hardships. So I'm going to suggest to us it's quite biblical to think that our hardships produce rejoicing for other people. Not that they're rejoicing that things are going against us, but when they see our faith shining in and through those hardships. Again, I go to the book of Philippians. I just finished it today in my morning devotions. And of course, Pastor Alex shared from it in the devotional on Sunday morning uh, the other day on the internet. It's, you can get it through our YouTube channel with Worship Generation. And it is an amazing book because he's under house arrest, so he's basically stay at home, <laughs> literally. And he can't just go out on the bike path and just push the limits like anyone in Huntington if he wants to. He has to stay at home because Caesar says you're staying at home. That's how it was for him. And in all that time, he had such insight with the Lord, but he says joy and rejoicing more in that book than any other book he wrote in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it was under a stay-at-home order for his faith that he uses the phrase rejoicing, joy, joy, joy. And he said, I've learned to be content in all things and that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He learned that through the various things of 
what most people perceive as afflictions and tribulations and difficulty, he learned it. And he talked about rejoicing and growing in the Lord and learning he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And so as we have a testimony of God's faithfulness in our life through our hardships in our personal life for the church around the planet right now, because let's say the Lord doesn't come back in the next few years, which would be very surprising to me, but certainly I wouldn't be the first person that thought Jesus was going to come back and maybe didn't come back at a certain time. So if the Lord doesn't come back, say, by the time I'm 80, 2041, we'll be able to look back on 2020, and we'll still talk about 2020 with an insight like we look 20 years back to 9-11, how we talk about that. And we'll talk about how it was so strange to not be able to find food in the grocery stores, to have to wear masks, social distancing. And we'll talk about the hardship that it was, trying to understand government, trying to understand the role of the church, all these things. We'll talk about this. And we should have a testimony from it. So it's really important as we go through these hardships that we are growing in the Lord individually and we have a testimony coming from this. So when we tell our father-in-law or future generations what God does, that people can hear our testimony of faith from this time and they can rejoice over what God did in our life through our hardships. That they can rejoice. Not only that they can rejoice, but they'll be so inspired that they'll say the Lord you serve is the only Lord there is. And they'll say he was so just in how he dealt with those who opposed you. And that they can say, let's bring an offering and make a sacrifice to the Lord. See, when we go through hardships and we shine for the Lord and we can testify that, it's a beautiful thing when people can then rejoice, declare God alone is the Lord, and offer up praises and sacrifice to the Lord, and then break bread with us. You see it? It's the whole, it's the whole sweep right here. He hears of the hardship, the testimony of hardship, and then he, Jethro, is rejoicing, he's confessing, he's sacrificing, and he's fellowshipping. Isn't that awesome? That is tight. It's an improved family relationship, by the way, too. And Aaron's there. He's breaking bread with the first high priest and Moses, the lawgiver, before he got the law. That's awesome. It's good stuff. So let our hardships produce rejoicing in other people's lives. Some people like hardships make them like super bitter and there's no rejoicing for anyone that comes from it. But Paul said through many afflictions and tribulations we must inherit the kingdom of God. So we need to let these things that are stretching us. And by the way, if some days you feel super discouraged with all that's going on and you feel despondent or in despair, then you can get right behind me in the line. Because there's days I, I cannot believe how like I feel just so overwhelmed by the events. Like, I can't believe the events we're in right now. Like, honestly, on this day, the first week of May, when I look at what the church, where the church is at in California, what the laws in California, what the boss of California is saying about the church, I get sick to my stomach, and all I can do is pray. So it's unsettling to everybody. It's a difficult thing, and we just got to draw near to the Lord. And we need, through these hardships, to have a testimony that will cause rejoicing in other people. We need to obey the Lord, whatever that looks like. Verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. And so when Moses' father-in-law saw this that he did for the people, he said, what, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Like, why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning to evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, well, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one another, and I, I make known the statutes of God and his laws. 
So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own land. A couple things that I like here in this part of the story is that, one, Jethro gives Moses counsel. And, you know, Moses, we're told, is the most humble man on planet Earth. Moses has a relationship with God superior to anyone else. When we get to the next chapter, just a moment, he goes to the top of the mountain, and God talks to him. He doesn't do that with anyone else. Remember, he's already been at the burning bush. Like, at the burning bush, Jesus, the Lord, said, I am, you know, Yahweh, I am that I am. He gave him a new name. Prior to that, it's El Shaddai. So he has a deeper revelation, a fuller revelation than anyone else on planet Earth. He's the mediator, and he's the lawgiver. And yet, in this situation, he's humble enough to receive insight and good counsel from his father-in-law. Isn't that neat? It's like a really good lesson for us. That like, we need to be teachable. We need to grow and learn. And, and we, can't, we can't be close to where... God might give us good direction and good counsel and good wisdom from different people. And we can't be afraid to share insight and wisdom maybe God gives us with someone else that's good feedback and good input to maybe help them be more effective in their calling with the Lord and what God has for them. I mean, it's probably a little hard for Jethro to give Moses counsel, but maybe not, because I'm a father-in-law, so I know as a father-in-law, sometimes just like, you feel like you know more than your son-in-laws because you've been living twice as long in most cases, but then you really learn that you don't want to be overbearing on your son-in-laws. You want to give them space. You were a young man once. You want to let them find themselves and get their traction. So you, you learn these things. And I can say for myself, generally, I don't like to force counsel on my son-in-laws. I like to let them ask for counsel, if there's counsel I can give. To be honest, both my son-in-laws are really bright and super fruitful and successful. So more often than not, I like to get counsel for them uh, because they have good insight. In fact, the whole idea to get the camera to do these studies, which happened before COVID-19, the whole idea to do the YouTube channels for Worship Generation and Joy Brand, the vision for uh, Kingdom Dance Party, all this stuff. To be honest, a lot of it came from an evening discussion with my son-in-law, Jacob, when they're over on a Sunday night back in early February. And they're talking about how their church, Hillsong Santa Ana, what vision ideas they have for outreach for young people in the next generation and reaching millennials. And I just thought, we got to get back to what we were with Phil Wickham and Jeremy Camp. We got to. We got to. We need a vision to reach the next generation. And 
you know, we're not just rolling over in our grave or something, waiting for the end of the world, but we, we need to reach the next generation. And Sam is here, and Eric is here, and Ryan, and they know I was very, very excited. Now, God was already working my life about the music, about the DJ stuff, and this vision, and I had no idea how I'd be working right now. I had no idea. But who had any idea about COVID-19 in February of this year? I mean, we saw it coming, kind of, but not anything like we got right now. But in the end, I'll never forget that, like, Jacob, my son-in-law, gave me some really good insight on some things, and I, I received it. And I wrote things down, and I added that to my equation of prayer, and then laid out a vision to all the pastors and deacons a few weeks later, and that was part of the feedback that helped me have the vision that we were prepared for when this happened. We were prepared for when this happened. Like, we've just been rolling, like, we were ready for this. And I really, I know in my own life, you, you we want to be teachable. And I like that Moses here is teachable. Like, he didn't say, like, oh, hey, Pops, look, man, I appreciate it. You know, I mean, you just kind of got saved, and, you know, God talks to me at the burning bush. You know, the bush that doesn't burn, like, just so you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't do that. It's good counsel, and he heeds it. That's how we want to be. We want to be teachable and able to grow. And if a donkey talks and tells you you're going the wrong direction, then listen to the donkey. Because <laughs> donkeys don't talk unless God's talking through a donkey. So listen. Like, this is a great insight. And what he said to him is you do too much, which is another good thing to think about for a moment, is we have to be careful. This stay at home, and now it's being released, phased into phase two or whatever here in California, but we could be opened up, we could retract, we don't know. Europe opens up and then have more cases and they close back up. And there's no question that COVID-19 is very serious and it kills people. There's just no question about that. And then there's no question that People who abuse power are abusing power to take advantage of it. Those are two things that are absolute truths that run parallel to each other. So we really don't know. But for some of us, this has been a break where you're really not doing that much. But for others, you're doing more. And I can speak for myself in ministry. I'm doing more now than I was doing before stay at home. All this stuff we're doing, this is more now than, you know, I'm doing more now than I ever did. I, I, you know, I, I love my job and I'm blessed but I'm telling you, I do way more now than I ever did before COVID-19. And it's made me sharper, crisper. My devotions are stronger. They have to be. And I almost feel like I'm doing a couple jobs. And it's been good. And I'm excited. And God is speaking. And so I'm having to learn, even in this situation, what can I delegate? What, what can I do? What I can't do? Like, we're making adjustments. I'm learning as we go. And like, I didn't know it all when we did the first live recording or recorded recording. And I don't know it all tonight. I'm still fine-tuning we're all we're all learning here you know we're wearing masks tonight part of the time some of the time whatever and we're just trying to find our way we're, we're all finding our way there's no one here tonight that knows it all and there's no one out there that knows it all and so we just have to be very gracious and careful but we have to be careful not to do more than we're capable of doing this really is a time out from the lord so i think it's important that we receive it as such and press into the lord and be careful not to do more than we're capable of doing at this time I mean, God's called the timeout. I've compared it to a rain delay in baseball. If you've ever watched a baseball game, there's a rain delay. They roll out the tarps, and they say, oh, the rain's going to last for 20 minutes or two hours, and it's just a rain delay, man. It's just like, go to the concession stand, you know? Like, it's a rain delay. And now we're coming out of that to a brave new world. So be careful you don't try and do too much, because God slowed everything down on this planet, and we need to be careful that we don't try and do too much. And that's the word to Moses. Jethro says, Jethro says, you can't do it all, so don't try and do it all. And we can't do it all, and, and we realize that. So don't try and do it all, because you can't do it all. And that's what we know. Now we read on in chapter 19. 
In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim and come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will heed, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. So Moses is a mediator. We're told in the New Testament that Moses is the mediator of the covenant. And here Moses is mediating between God and the people. That's what he's doing. And when we look here in these couple of verses, right around here, verse 4, the, the, the terminology that God uses is very interesting. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings. Isn't that a unique phrase for God to say that? Like, I bore you on eagle's wings? Like, that's a very interesting phrase. Like, eagles soar. Like, hawks soar. But, like, if you see an eagle soaring, like, an eagle is pretty majestic. You see an eagle soaring. It's like God saying, I bore you on eagle's wings. That's just a very interesting visual. God's given it. It's not like we're writing a poem on our own strength or something. It's, it's God saying, I bore you on eagle's wings, like an eagle, you know, carrying you. That old Disney movie my kids watched quite a bit when they were kids, Rescues Down Under, where the mice, they're, like, they're on like the giant eagle, you know, like they're sailing on the eagle. Like the idea is that you're on something so much bigger and more powerful than you, and God's burying you. God is burying us on eagle's wings. If he, if he carried Israel like eagle's wings, how much more the church? The church is his bride. He's carrying us on eagle's wings. This is interesting terminology, and it's, it's beautiful. It's not robotic or clunky. You know what I'm saying? It's not mechanical. God bearing us on eagle's wings is very personal. It's very fluid. It's very visual, and it's joyful. And he's bearing all of us on eagle's wings right now. In fact, I'm just going to kind of picture an eagle here right, right now, a big, beautiful bald eagle, some beautiful, majestic bald eagle. By the way, when Tim was in Alaska, the bald eagles were everywhere. He always would send us pictures of bald eagles. He says, you can tell when there's a new one because it's really clean. It's all beautiful. Like, like, hey, you're not from here, are you? Because the Dutch Harbor bald eagles, kind of like little scrappers, you know, fight the seagulls. Tim would have to go fight the bald eagles. Like, they'd, they'd come up, like, on the ship and, like, hey, I just cleaned that. You know, like, get off, get off my thing. And, so Timmy had all kinds of pictures of bald eagles and pictures of them, so I never felt that connected apart from being the symbol of our country. But if you could picture a bald eagle and how beautiful and majestic they are when you really see one, and put a bald eagle right here, and then take worship generation and our church family, take you and your family people you love, and put them on that eagle right now. And that's where we're at tonight with the Lord Jesus Christ in his church. Because what do you do for Israel? How much more for the church? He's burying us on eagle's wings. He loves his people. He's got us. We're, we're not holding on to him. He's holding on to us. He's got us. He's bearing us on eagle's wings. And he also uses another phrase in this passage. He said, you shall be a special treasure. A special treasure. You know, I, I don't tend to think of myself as a special treasure. <laughs> I tend to think of myself as a sinner saved by grace and very fortunate. You know, uh, amazing grace to sa save a wretch like me, right? We, 
But a treasure is a treasure. Now, when you have kids, little kids, they have treasures. Like, little kids get treasures. My granddaughter, Clementine, she goes for walks, and she looks for treasures. Like, she likes rocks, like little rocks. When I was in Denver a couple weeks ago, I, I kept a couple rocks at, when I was watching Clementine. And when I'd run an errand, Luke had thrown them out. I was like, Luke, those are the rocks from Clementine. Like, we got those rocks together. Like, I was pretty upset. They were her treasures from when I went back there when Wilkie was born. Like, I'm, I'm a treasure guy. And those rocks were treasure. Now, I did have a couple other rocks because Clem collects rocks every walk. So I let it go. But I told Luke, hey, son, do me a favor. If I bring home rocks with Clem, don't throw them away. Those are my treasures. And I can tell you exactly where those three rocks are that I got from Denver that Luke did not throw away. They're right next to my Pipe Masters Trophy and World Champion Trophy because they mean more to me than either of those two trophies. I've got three trophies on my dresser top, three. Pipe Masters, World Champion, and Hall of Fame. And right next to them are three rocks that are treasures from Clementine and me in Denver three weeks ago. That's treasure. Plus, there's a sand dollar, almost a perfect sand dollar. It's a little chink. Because sand dollars are hard to find in Huntington Beach. And I found that sand dollar at the beginning of COVID-19 on a low tide walk in Huntington Beach. And, you know, just walking with the Lord at Dog Beach with the Cavaliers. And that's a treasure, too. So that little sand dollar, that's on top of the ASP World Champion Trophy. It's right there. Just, just one little sand dollar. And normally, I demand, it's kind of a silly thing, but you got to be a perfect sand dollar to make the cut and be a part of my sand dollar collection. But I thought, you know what? It's the end of the world. You've only got one little ding. I'm taking you as is. And that treasure's right there. And that sand dollar will always remind me of how I felt life was like when COVID-19 began and there was no food in our stores and people were panicking and nothing would be the same, and they're not. So treasures are treasures. I hope you have treasures. These are special treasures, like special treasures. God says his people are treasures. Now, some people value certain things like that, treasures, you know, they like things like that that remind you of certain things. So let me tell you, by the way, when you get older and you're almost 60, you have a lot of things you didn't need to keep. You have some things you wish you would have kept, but then there's some things you definitely have that you did intend to keep. When my mom passed away, the Hummels, you know the Hummels, like most of you don't know the Hummels, they precede the precious moment things from the 90s. I got some precious moments, but the Hummels, the Hummels are special. And I've got the Hummels that I grew up with in the 60s. They're in my possession. They're special treasures. They're supposed to go to my dad's place, but they're going to go the next day on the 15th we're going to put them in his room, but we couldn't see my dad on March 15th, and they're still in my room. But the homeless are there too. God says you're his special treasure. You, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. All of us, we're his special treasure. Because what was true for Israel is true for the church. We're his special treasure. He loves us. <laughs> the parable of, you know, the treasure, Luke 16, you just, all the, or, it's not Luke 16, but in Matthew, we're like the pearl of great price. It's like treasures. Jesus Christ would have died just for you because you're that special treasure. So he bears us on eagle wings, and we're his special treasure. And so don't let evil men and women unsettle you concerning our relationship with God and how they might make our lives harder in this sojourn and pilgrimage. Just know. He's got us on eagle's wings, and we are a special treasure. And he laid down his life for the sheep. He loves us. Jesus loves his church. Now we read on.
verse 10. So then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and concentrate them today, tomorrow, and lead them to wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day, and do not come near your wives. So no sexual intimacy, nothing like it. It's like, hey, it's a holy moment, man. Like, some things are very serious. It's like, hey, this is serious. You know, stand before the Lord, and this isn't a joke, this isn't a game. We're going to Mount Sinai, and God is holy, and he's going to sound the trumpet from Mount Sinai. You talk about the fear of the Lord. Again, you know, people protesting beaches not being open or whatever, and I get it. I mean, I get that, but, you know, like my wife said, that's not our protest. I mean, I want the beaches open. I'm all for beaches open, but, like, people, people fear men and people fear COVID-19. We need to fear the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord begins when you go to Mount Sinai and the smoke descends and the trumpet sounding. And, and, and all your carnal desires are gone. <laughs> Like, that's the fear of the Lord. And God saw Moses, hey, get ready. You tell those people, consecrate themselves, the Lord is coming. And by the way, if the Lord's coming back, wouldn't we say the same thing? Consecrate yourself, the Lord is coming back. I mean, don't we all feel a little more seriousness with the Lord? It's almost like we're at war. Like when you're at war, you're really alert and sharp and crisp. And we're in a critical time. And we need to be fear of the Lord and consecrated and set apart. These guys... They're going to be part of something so special. What's happening? Nothing like this has ever happened in human history. What's happening at Mount Sinai right now in this chapter? God's going to give the Ten Commandments written by His fingers on stone in the next chapter. This is as special as it gets. Like just in human history, there's very few things that match this. Yeah, I bore you on eagles' wings. You're a special treasure. Now sanctify yourself, consecrate yourself. And Moses goes up the mountain. Moses comes down the mountain. It's like whoa. And then we pick it up here in verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thundering and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Think about this. Moses had seen the burning bush. Now he sees a whole mountain, Mount Sinai, on fire. It's crazy. And smoke. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Wow, answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned a saying to set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the mountain to, to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Now, chapter 19 of Exodus, when you read through the Bible, it, it, it's an easy chapter that kind of gets overlooked. It's sort of like the warm-up band to the law, because chapter 20 is one of the most famous chapters of the Bible. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. So it's like 
like I said, it's like the warm-up band. You know, like Exodus 20 is, is like a mountaintop in all human history and God's revelation is God giving the Ten Commandments, the moral law, the religious law, and the civil law to the nation of Israel. And 20 through like 24 is all that. So 19 kind of sets the stage where that's going to happen. And you read 19, if you just read it in a hurry, like you got 10 minutes to read it on a weekday morning, you go like, what? It's like, it's kind of gnarly. Like, like smoke, trumpet, fire, enough, go down the mountain. But just bear this in mind when you read this. God is, is saying, he's essentially saying, I'm holy, be holy. You come to me, you got to be holy. And it's not a frivolous thing. Man, that trumpet. What do you think that trumpet sounded like? Now, here's something interesting about the trumpet. We're told when the Lord returns, a trumpet will sound. It's a one-time experience. When the ark sealed Noah in the ark, it's a one-time experience. Like, no one ever seen rain before. He says, it's going to rain. He built the ark. The ark closes the door. God closes the door, and it rains. It's a one-time experience. You had one time to know that, and if you're in the ark, you're sealed. If you're outside the ark, you're perishing. Well, the trumpet of the Lord, when the Lord's return comes, is a one-time a trumpet sounds, and we're either ready or we're not. So I think like, wow, this trumpet of the Lord and then that trumpet of the Lord, they're both so sobering, there's a lot to it. But the Lord says to Moses about the balance, set the balance, and we do need boundaries, and there are boundaries, and God gives boundaries. But he says, when Moses is like, well, you know, wait a second, you said this, but how could, they cannot come up because you said set bounds. So it sounds like Moses is a little fuzzy or uncertain, and we've seen this earlier on in Exodus, and God just says, Away, get down, and then come up. You ever had your parents do that, or has a parent ever do that? Like, you know, the kids are like, well, what? You're like, wait, no, wait. Like, no, no, just do what I told you to do. Like, you're not, like, we don't need to revisit this. Do what I told you to do. That's what you need to do. So, whatever's going on between Moses and the Lord here, the Lord just says, just do what I told you to do. He's not going to repeat it. Now, it's interesting because sometimes in the Bible, God repeats things over and over and over again. The gospels sometimes have the same story three times with different insights. Peter's in First Peter says, I'm going to tell you the same thing over and over and over, and it's not tedious because you need to hear the same thing over and over. But sometimes God just says, I'm going to tell you once, so listen closely. But you say, just go do it. It's like, wow, <laughs> I, I like that. Less is more, right? Just go do what I told you to do. And let me just say this in a closing thought on all this. Less is more. If anything, you should be taught through COVID-19 and the stay in, less is more. Less is more. Doing less, pressing more into the Lord, being more effective in what he's called you to do, that's how we want to be. There should be a really clear vision and focus for who you are with the Lord and what he has for you in your life right now. And we don't need to be going in circles like, well, listen, just go and do what you know to do. There is so much we know to do with the Lord, it'll keep us busy from here to eternity. The, the, the basic things of God's word. So to me, to us, the application is just do what you know to do. Do what you've been told to do. We're not reinventing the wheel here. We're not rebranding the church. Doesn't matter who reigns in Caesar's palace. Do what you know you're called to do. And do it faithfully. Do it reverently and do it as unto the Lord.